the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, hello everyone. I'm just settled in behind the microphone, got the comfy chair and ready to deliver one hour of blockbuster news here on Sports Day WA for the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. We've got a good show coming up. I'm looking forward to it. I'm speaking shortly to Steve Harris. Uh, he was the former Fremantle Football Club president. He was there for seven years you're asking me, why did you get Steve Harris on? Well, I think it's opportune, uh, particularly what happened today with uh, the West Coast Eagles. And secondly, someone said to me during the week, and it got me thinking, had the Fremantle Dockers just waited a fraction longer, could they have stayed in Fremantle and maybe have been housed at the newly developed East Fremantle Football Club? In other words, East Fremantle Oval, that's undergone a multi-million dollar redevelopment because there are still some Fremantle supporters that feel that it's not the same club because it's not part of the Fremantle community. It's out there in Coburn, which is still a bit of a drive from the centre of uh, Fremantle and the Cappuccino Strip. We knew there was issues with Fremantle Oval uh, and the fact that it was uh, very busy there not a lot of room for expansion, but I reckon East from Oval would have been a good site, people were telling me, just as uh, late as yesterday, a couple of very uh, entrenched Fremantle Football Club supporters. Uh, they're invested in the club, and they said to me, I think it would have been better to maybe look at East from Oval than maybe Coburn. But Steve Harris was across that. So I thought I'd get his thoughts on whether the Coburn experiment... He finished in 2016, seven years on now, whether the Coburn experiment has worked as far as he's concerned. He's a passionate Dockers man. Okay, he was president, but he's also uh, a man that's very, very invested in that football club, even now that he's moved on in an official capacity. So Steve Harris is going to join us on the program in a little while. We'll also speak to a cricketer who took the best figures of her career yesterday, WBBL Action we're talking about, and we're talking about Amy Edgar, who is more pronounced as a batsman. But yesterday, against the Sydney Sixers, she took four for 19 to roll the Sixers and make the Perth Scorchers record another victory over the Sydney side. In fact, they've beaten them seven times out of the last nine. Elise Perry is just one of a number of stars that make up the... Sydney Sixers makeup, but the Perth Scorchers have got the wood over them. And yesterday at the Wacker, a great performance by Amy Edgar. Four for 19 saw the Scorchers record a victory. They play the uh, Melbourne Renegades there tomorrow, so Amy Edgar's going to join us a bit later on. And also we'll go through the top seven stories of the week. But the big story today for the good oil for Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil, is that the West Coast Eagles have appointed Don Pike dual premiership player for the West Coast Eagles in 1992 and 1994. 54 years of age, I believe, and he's now taking on a huge challenge to oversee a football club that in certainly 
on field has been on its knees for the last two years. Of course, still off field, it is a very, very strong brand and a very financial uh, and successful uh, business. But this is what Don Pike had to say at the press conference today. Firstly, about his the competition and what that's told uh, him and the footy club after what's transpired in the last couple of seasons. Clearly, the game has told us that what we what we've been doing it hasn't been good enough, and and we need to we need to get better. Um, and you guys have been around sport long enough to know there's no real there's no magic bullet here. There's no silver bullet that's going to solve that. It's going to get down to rolling the sleeves up, getting back to work, and uh, turning up. You know, in our in our preseason space, ready to go and, and play to to compete to win games of footy, which is you know what the, the proud history of the club you know aspires to. Well, Don Pike was featured on the run home with uh, Andrew Marr and also Gazy uh, today, and that's what he said about the competition has told them they're not good enough today. He also spoke about that the Eagles can't accept their current on-field predicament for too much longer. The, the challenge you face as a footy club is to not accept um, where you're at for too long because what happens, I've seen, in, and it's happened to a lot of clubs, and it's not only... AFL but worldwide is that if you start to accept the level of performance um, it becomes the norm and it's very hard to elevate yourself out of it. The standards start to be reset to a point whereby it's very hard to go back up again um, and that's why there's a, there is a little bit of a sense of urgency right now about let's let's get this off season right, let's get ourselves back um, I don't know what that guarantees in terms of wins or losses, I just know that if the guys do the work, if we turn up and I've had a look at the squad uh, there's enough talent on there if we get that all out in the park to play some pretty good football and, and we need to just mm. reset ourselves and make sure we, we, we take that really positive forward-looking approach towards next season and um, and, and see where that gets us. And, and the journey back, will that starts the journey back, but it starts with the recognition of the work that needs to be done and the standard that the game demands. And, mm. and clearly we've got that feedback in the last couple of years. There you go. That's uh, Don Pike. A couple of grabs that he said today on the run home in Melbourne. By the way, Don Pike uh, will be featured on uh, Scotty and Goss on the SENWA Breakfast Program tomorrow morning. As we know, he's a legend at the Eagles. He played uh, in the 1992 and 94 AFL Premiership sides. 132 game career. He became an assistant coach under Adam Simpson. So he's an assistant to Simpson and now he's Simo's boss. That's interesting, isn't he? Assistant to Simo, and now he calls the shots. Don Pike is uh, Adam Simpson's boss. He was on the West Coast Eagles board in the 2000s as well. He's a, a life member, Hall of Fame member as well, so he's got a, a pretty good CV. So we wish Pikey the best of luck. Uh, the big news today for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested, and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. Steve Harris will join us, uh, the former president of the Fremantle Dockers, in just a moment. But let's uh, roll out for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. In consultation, Paul Heath Heater and our executive producer, Jimmy Williams, have compiled the top seven stories of the week. Let's see if they got it right. Number seven. Alligator Blood at the 200 took the front. Romantic Warrior the outside. Alligator Blood at the 100. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside. Still Alligator Blood. Mr. Brightside coming at it with Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Mr. Brightside or Romantic Warrior. 
this horse is pretty special to me and when I mentioned to come to a Cox Plate I think he'd be the surfed horse. I meant what I said and Danny, credit to Peter and Danny, like, takes a hell of a lot of balls to come out of Hong Kong with all the prize money. They come here and showcase their boy. I reckon he's got more to come to, he's just been bubbling. He made significant amount of improvement like, like we thought he did and he loves the bloody valley. Oh yes he does. <laughs> Loves the valley, yes, loves the Mooney Valley atmosphere. Romantic warriors, awe-inspiring Cox Plate victory. And he brings it back for another Hong Kong owners uh, to taste. Uh, yeah, and uh, that was a, a great little line there by the jockey. That's James McDonald uh, post-race. That was number seven. Number six. It's been an absolute car crash over 10 months. Ready Jones, two wins from nine games, swallowed his first time bowing out in the pool stages at a Rugby World Cup. And um, 12 or 13 days ago, he said he was committed for the long haul and to see out his contract till 2027, and he quit last night. I did want to go on, mate, but it was, you know, commitments. Of coaching a team's a bit like being in a marriage, mate. You need commitment from both sides. And, you know, I was committed to change the team. Rugby Australia at the moment can't activate the resources, which are both financial and political, to get the change in place to make real change to Australian rugby. They don't like to be in projects. I don't think they can really get to where they need to get to. And, and you know, I've made that decision. I don't think that's the case. Eddie Jones, five months in the job, or was it seven months in the job, five-year contract, and he's gone. Uh, and there he goes, making some comments on why he decided to walk after what was a disastrous World Cup rugby uh, campaign there in France where they failed to get out of the pool stage. And prior to that, Tom Decent uh, on East SEN last week, also the Sydney Morning Herald uh, rugby writer, who actually uh, got the jump on the fact that Eddie was going to walk. Number five. Gone and oh, that's gone. It's a bonus. It's five wides. Mitchell Stark, what have you done here? Mitchell Stark, all the pressure on him now. It's in the spot. They'll come back for two. Trent Bolt will scamper. No problem at all. He'll get back. The pressure on Australia right now. They got 388. Let's just remind you. 388. And now it's under siege. Straight down the ground now. Long on is straight enough to cut it off as he is, he does. Jimmy Nation, he's hit it again. Has he hit it again? No, what a sensational bit of feeling. Marnus Labashang in the deep. Got to keep going, they've got to run. Got to get Jimmy Nation back on strike. They simply must. Is he back? Is he back? Australia believe he is not. On one leg, can Lockie smack it out of the park? Last ball of the game, here's Mitchell Stark. Lockie hits. Yeah, certainly the uh, World Cup game of the tournament so far. And it was Australia winning by five runs against New Zealand. Australia making 388 and New Zealand failing, as you heard, making nine for 383 and coming from literally the sky to almost steal a uh, remarkable victory against their arch rivals across the Tasman. In the end, uh, New Zealand again uh, lost last night. So at the moment, they're in danger of slipping out of the top four after winning the first four games of the tournament. Number four. Yeah, look, we'll obviously outline that there's a bit of a discussion with, with Belly around the opportunities that he sees with himself in, in the long term as well. Um, the ability to grow um, outside of footy, which is a focus around obviously our strategy and some projects that he'll be involved in. Um, but in addition to that, there's, there's the opportunity to really be 
refocus and, and harness the opportunity from a talent perspective uh, in the coming years. We've got Tassie coming in. Uh, we've obviously got a really young list that we want to see stay together for a long period of time and see that success sustained over a long period of time. So in those discussions with, with Peter and Simon and, and obviously then myself being involved in looking at the broader operations of the football department and how we can set it up for that success as well, ensuring that uh, we set ourselves up with Justin and, and the football management group across a number of aspects of, of football um, to obviously on-field achieve what we all want to. There's Joe Bridey taking over from Peter Bell in the role of general manager of football. As we know, Peter Bell has been given a new portfolio, a new portfolio that takes him away from the day-to-day handling of the football department. Number three. As I said, it was going from the clubhouse slash pro shop um, back to the, the team bus. Um, the guys were ferried on, on carts. Glenn and a few other players um, jumped on the back of carts and unfortunately... He lost his grip on the way back to the, the team bus and, and sustained that that injury. So, so, and over the last couple of days, he's been assessed, and that's we've got all the information now. So that's why we wanted to call you in mm. around it. It was too soon to go with it yesterday. You're still being assessed, um, as is the nature with concussion injuries. They're, they're not clear cut, um, but he's been honest in terms of the information that he's provided. And as I said, unfortunately, that will rule him out of the England game. No, nah, there was nothing untoward yeah. in the behaviour um, yeah. throughout the whole day. It was just a, a clear-cut accident. Um, and unfortunately, as I said, it's, it's compromised what we do moving forward mm. as a team, which is the unfortunate part. But to reiterate that he's doing well and he's fine um, and there'll be no long-term mm. repercussions. Glenn Maxwell out of the match against England. As we know, so is Mitch Marsh, who is the part of the World Cup. He's uh, flown home to Perth for personal reasons. Marsh flew out of India last night. And leaves the Aussies with 13 players to choose from for that Saturday night encounter against the English. Number two. Fowler, it opens up for the shot. Oh, Mary Fowler. Breathtaking. Across the face. Kirk, she gets there. Well, it had to be, didn't it? A symbolic goal, the 900th in the history of the Matildas. And it's their all-time leading goal scorer. Great ball for Ford. Caitlin Ford still going. Desperate again. Saya, the cutback. And Tamiki Yalop. And I think that first camp after a big tournament can go, you know, either way. Um, either everyone's really tired and performances kind of drop off a bit. Um, or, you know, you're able to build off that momentum. And I think you can see in, in this camp, in three games, you're able to build off that. And everyone was just as motivated as we were in that first game of the World Cup. So it's been a really good camp, I think, for everyone. Um, and it's great to get three good results. She is a class act. She is worth going to watch alone, uh, Mary Fowler. The skills that she possesses, that's great goal last night. And I don't think I've seen a national team resonate with the Australian public as much as I saw in Perth this week. It's just quite unbelievable. It is unbelievable how much uh, people of Perth and the people of Australia just love this Matilda's outfit. They've gone from literally oblivion, we only knew Sam Kerr in the squad, to now almost every member of their major starting 11 being a household name, including Mary Fowler. And what great publicity 
going out with uh, Nathan Cleary, of course, the star of the National Rugby League and part of the Penrith Panthers, uh, and he won them the grand final. What a super couple that's going to be. Number one. Look, I think the football side of it is is clearly stands out. Um, how we do that, how we how I engage with our with our our people to do that. Um, and I've probably got a very simple, simple view, which is we just got to get, keep getting better. And I've been a believer since day dot that if every player on your list gets better year in, year out, your team will be better. And so our obligation as a footy club, whether it's you're in the footy department or you're, you're part of the, the club, is how are we getting better? How are we actually keeping on improving? Because if we can keep improving, the results sort of take care of themselves. So that'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to talk to, to Adam and his coaching group. Obviously, I've got close recent history in terms of um, the football side of things. But I'll be stepping back because I'm the CEO. I'm not going to be running football. That's that's their, their responsibility. But if I've got some value to add, which I think I will have, um, we'll certainly have those conversations about how we how we jointly get ourselves back where we, we want to be. Yeah, speaks well, Pikey, doesn't he? Uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. And we wish him the best of luck as the new CEO of the West Coast Eagles will take over in January of 2024. His priorities there over the off-season from his press conference earlier today. That's the top seven at seven. Uh, I certainly agree with the boys, the way they've put it together. I think certainly uh, Pike is the big story of the week. All thanks to the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 500 and 28 kilometres of range. We're going to take a break. We'll go from the Eagles to the Fremantle Dockers next. Steve Harris, the former president of the Dockers, joins us next here on Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Twenty-one past five, Sports Day WA. As we're now joined by the former Fremantle Dockers president, in Steve Harris. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Peter. Big announcement today regarding the West Coast Eagles, with it being confirmed that former Premiership player Don Pike, who has been a senior assistant at the Sydney Swans in recent times, is coming back home to be the new CEO of the West Coast Eagles Football Club, taking over from a guy that you would know very well. After all, he's been one of the pillars of WA football for so long in Trevor Nisbet. Your thoughts on the appointment? Well, first, just sign off on Trevor Nisbet because he's certainly had a rough time, particularly in the WA media in the last 12 to 18 months. But if you look at his entire career at West Coast, you'd have to say that the guy's possibly one of the most successful sports administrators in the country. And it certainly pains me as a Freo man to give kudos and credit to an individual from West Coast. But I'd, I'd have to say he would undoubtedly be one of the most successful in the country. So good, good on him for what he's achieved over a long career. Um, looking at Don Pike, certainly he's got really, really strong football credentials. And that makes a statement about where the board's thinking. The footy club's a really complex business. West Coast, $70, $80 million worth of revenue lots of moving parts. And in balancing the choice of CEO, they could choose someone with a really significant business experience or really significant football. And they've gone with someone who the weight of their experience is football, which shows you, I think, what the board's thinking about the importance of or what's important at the footy club, what's of highest importance. So to the membership base, to the stakeholders, when you put someone in like Don Pike, as we know, Fremantle, have got a former Western Bulldogs uh, player in Simon Garlic heading their uh, organisation, does it instil a bit of 
warmth, a bit of confidence in that very important base, uh, knowing that you've brought a, a former champion back. And as we know, a lot of the members and supporters don't really care too much about the business acumen. They just want to make sure that they're comfortable on who's basically leading the ship. Well, no one cares about the business acumen until it becomes a problem. Um, and so it is It is still important. Um, I don't think West Coast would have been too concerned with about keeping the members happy and the optics of it. I think they'd be more concerned with what's right for the club as a board in making that decision. And so I think they've no doubt gone through a process and think that it's best best for the club. And he's certainly got a wealth of experience and you would expect the CEO to be reasonably hands-on with the football direction and supervising the decisions that are made around football in that club. You were seven years at the head of the Fremantle Football Club. Just reflecting on your time then, uh, how do you see it now a few years on? Uh, look, it was it was an absolutely fantastic time in my life. It was busy. Um, when I took it on, they said it would be six to 12 hours a week. And it was um, sometimes it was six to 12 hours a day. But it was um, possibly the most fun that you could have in your life. And I met so many great people and learned so much about elite performance and got to participate in something that puts into the culture of Australia and the culture of the community in Western Australia. So it was a great privilege, Peter. When you look at your professional responsibilities with the brand agency, which you've built to be a, a significant advertising agency, not only in Western Australia, but in the Eastern States and, of course, in New Zealand as well. And you look at Dale Alcock, who's just finishing his term now as the president of the Fremantle Football Club. What compels people like you and Dale, considering your professional situation, to basically dive into a position like this? I can't speak for Dale, but for me, I'd been committed to the club for a long period of time. I probably had an engagement with the club for at least 10 years prior, had been doing work for the club on a pro bono basis, had become quite close to the organisation, and I was committed to the philosophy of the club, committed to the people of the club and committed to the success of the club. So um, when the opportunity came along, I didn't want to sit around talking at dinner and talking at the weekend about what I thought the club could do. I wanted to take the opportunity to contribute to the club. And so that, that's what I think drives people. And initially in discussions with Dale, that's what drove him too. He, he wanted to make a contribution at what, to, to the organisation and success. Your time just seems like yesterday when you moved on as president of Fremantle. It was 2016 and in 2017 Fremantle moved to the state-of-the-art Coburn facility. Are you comfortable that was the right move for Freo? Probably not only was it the right move, but it was the only move that the club under Rick Hart before me had been looking for a long period of time at how to upgrade and change the facilities at Fremantle. And at one point, Fremantle had market-leading facilities in the AFL. And then by the time we were there at the end, I think it was the, they were either the oldest or the smallest or the, or the least adequate of any club in the AFL. So we'd been looking for a really long time about how to make a a better facility for the players and admin. And if you look at the size of these clubs now with the AFLW teams and other operations, they really need a large footprint and they really need an advanced building with a lot of facilities. That just wasn't available to us in Fremantle. And there was a great opportunity at Coburn. We looked all over Perth and ran expressions of interest and spoke to a whole range of different organisations and, and opportunities where, where we could move. And the Coburn opportunity was the far the best financially. It was also really good for our members and our um, and our players and our bin staff as well. Even though there may be stu a few sort of core members suggesting Frio should have stayed in Frio, when you look at what's being 
developed now at East Fremantle Oval. Was that on the radar when Coburn was being considered? Because the Fremantle Dockers could have built something pretty handy at East Fremantle Oval considering the redevelopment now. Look, certainly at East East Fremantle, I don't think that was on the radar at the time. And we had extensive discussions with the city of Fremantle. Um, It it wasn't an easy option at the city of Fremantle on that ground. There wasn't a huge footprint there to do what we needed to do. And be fair to say, the city didn't exactly make it an easy easy transaction. What we did at um, City of Coburn, and the numbers might have changed slightly since I left the club in 2016, but we turned a commitment from the club that was less than $20 million into a facility that was valued at about $112 million. We had the WA government kick in the land and $10 million. We had the federal government kick in $10 million. And we built a facility that there was no way that the Fremantle Dockers could ever afford in 20 or 30 years. We got the benefit of that facility. And there's so many aspects of the facility that are good for the community and good for the Dockers that are shared. So, for example, in the old club, we had a small swimming pool in the basement of the club and it used to cost us around $110,000 a year to, to, to heat that pool and run that pool operation. And the players would swim in isolation. If you go down on a Monday morning to Coburn um, Aquatic Centre now, on a Monday morning after a game, you'll be swimming in lane two. You'll have the Fremantle Dockers swimming in lane one and doing their rehab right next to you. You can go down on the indoor training courts for the Fremantle Dockers aren't sequestered away from the public. The indoor training courts are being used probably today for basketballers and volleyballers. And then in the afternoons, they might be being used by the AFLW team. So you've got a $112 million facility that's being used by the community and and benefits everyone. So it was just such a great opportunity. And at the time, there was no way that was available anywhere in Fremantle or indeed anywhere else in Western Australia. There's no doubt you were certainly uh, in a period as president of transition and we've seen now the end result where Fremantle now very much respected in the AFL for their facilities and the way they tackle the football business. Uh, Personally, when you walked out of that president's door at the end of 2016, did you feel by 2023 that Frio may have had a bit of silverware? Peter, I feel every March, I feel like I <laughs> might get a little bit of silverware. Um, I'm, I'm the, uh, the ultimate optimist. And having been there, you know, having been to Melbourne in September in 2013 and felt it, it's, it's bloody hard to get there. It's really, really hard to get there. Um, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't come easy. And if you want to get there, you've got to get there with your best people on the ground and you've got to get there with real commitment. We've seen teams... Um, in the past few years, certainly not last year when the game was very quick, or this year when the game was very close. But you see teams that aren't ready get there and then they get slaughtered on the ground in that last day, last Saturday in September. And I think it's really important that the team's, team's on a roll and it's got potential to stay at its top for a while if it's going to get to September and deliver. So um, I'm, I'm optimistic every single year. And I certainly feel the club's got strong prospects where it's at at the moment. And that's my final question. As a former president, a distinguished former president, are you comfortable where your football club is at the moment? Um, I'm comfortable. I think it's got good leadership. Um, New president starting December 1 in Chris Sutherland, who's been involved with the club for probably 20, 25 years. Um, Everything off field um, ticks the box. The club's in good financial position. It's got good administrators. Um, and um, I think we just need to let it get on and get the players and the coaches get set and go forward. So Steve Harris these days is puts on the Docker scarf and goes there as very much a supporter. 
I go there as a supporter. I catch the bus to the games, and I take my own sandwiches and my own water bottle. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing. Good on you, Steve. Thanks for joining us here on Sports Day WA. Much appreciated. Great. Thanks, Pete. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yeah, it's great to have you company. Great to speak to Steve Harris as well, the uh, former president of the... uh Fremantle Footy Club, now for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. Not forgetting, you can join us on the Temper of Bedshed text machine anytime, 0487 736 736. Docker supporters, would you be more happy now with the Coburn experiment for a number of years to maybe have your club back in Freo? Uh, would it be nice to be maybe at East Fremantle Oval with the new development? Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, 0487 736 736. For Polaris, as I said, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand, a first. Yes, the Texas Rangers have won their very first World Series title. The 63rd season. Well done to the Texas Rangers. They rolled to a 5-0 win over the Diamondbacks in Game 5 to win the series four games to one last night. So a great performance by the Texas Rangers, as we mentioned, is their very first World Series. Four centuries for Quinton de Kock at a World Cup, which is quite amazing. He got another one. Last night. No, no, Quinton de Kock. Oh, okay. He did get a fourth century last night, by the way, as well, for South Africa against uh, New Zealand. I'll tell you what was interesting was the Matildas and the reaction. I see that Lisa has sent through an SMS. We'll read that in the moment. Let's relive the Matildas' great 3-0 victory over Chinese Taipei last night. Fowler, it opens up for the shot. Oh, Mary Fowler. Breathtaking. Across the face, Kirk, she gets there. Well, it had to be, didn't it? A symbolic goal, the 900 in the history of the Matildas. And it's their all-time leading goal scorer. Great ball for Ford. Caitlin Ford, still going. Desperate again. Saya, the cutback. And Tamika Yallop. You know, I think that first camp after a big tournament can go, you know, either way. Um, either everyone's really tired and performances kind of drop off a bit, um, or, you know, you're able to build off that momentum. And I think you can see in, in this camp, in three games, we're able to build off that. And everyone was just as motivated as we were in that first game of the World Cup. So it's been a really good camp, I think, for everyone. Um, and it's great to get three good results. Yeah, good on you, Mary, and a sensational goal last night. Uh, Lisa says, hi, Pete. Uh, great program again this week. Uh, the Matildas have taken the round ball game to another level in such a way that I think it could have the AFL worried, question mark, question mark, question mark. The sellout of games in Perth was epic, and judging by the amount of kids of all ages so enthralled in the game, I wouldn't be at all surprised if a lot more kids would be wanting to play soccer instead of football going forward. What was mind-blowing for me is I spoke to somebody who uh, came to the game on Sunday at Optus and went to about two or three merchandise vans and everything was sold out. 
Everything was sold out. You couldn't get a Matilda's piece of merchandise anywhere. That just shows you the popularity. Thanks, Lise. We'll take a break. Come back with more after this here on Sports Day. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Peter Vlahos here with Sports Day WA on this Thursday. Of course, the final Sports Day of the week. Uh, It runs Monday to Thursday between 5 and 6 here on the SEN WA network. And don't forget that you can join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member today. Just check out the details on the Perth Wildcats website. We're here for the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. They sit, I think, currently third on the WBBL ladder after what was, again, another impressive performance by the Perth Scorchers over the Sydney Sixers. And one of the reasons they won the game yesterday was on the back end of a dominant performance by Amy Edgar. Took four wickets for 19, and she joins us on the program now. Amy, thanks for your time. No problem. How are you going? I'm very well. From You are a New South Wales girl originally, aren't you? I am, yes. Yep. Yeah. What was it like beating Sydney? Uh, pretty good. Um, we The, the Scorchers and Sixers have quite a healthy rivalry um, in the WBBL now. We've sort of played a few finals. And, and and things like that against each other. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly a little bit of a rivalry, so it's nice to get one up against them. Um, but we've ob- obviously still got the return game back in Sydney um, to come. So, But saying that, you've been part of the WA cricket makeup now for a few seasons, haven't you? I have, yeah. I think I've been here for over seven years now. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to call myself a local now. When did you come over here? Were you, you were fairly young when you uh, came to Perth, weren't you? Yeah, I was a teenager when I, when I got here. I was 19 when I moved over. Yeah, so now you're uh, in your early 20s, so you're still pretty young. Yeah, some, some might say young, some might say old. <laughs> uh, no doubt you're comfortable with the cricket program here under the auspices of the likes of Kate Harvey, uh, you know, Christina Matthews, the CEO. How do you find cricket on this side of the country? Because after all, it's been all conquering in recent times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've loved my time over in the West. Um, yeah, the the girls over here were, were very welcoming when I first got here. Um, and, yeah, I've obviously stayed um, because of those. And then, yeah, our organisation as a whole has had a lot of success um, in recent years across the men's and the women's program and then obviously across uh, the WA and Perth Scorchers teams. Um, and, yeah, that's obviously led by Christina Matthews, our CEO. Um, she does a great job um, in, in running our, our organisation and we're very lucky to have her. Let's have a look at the game yesterday. The uh, Perth Scorchers made eight for 166. Now, Alana King, as we know, is more known for a bowling and is an Australian representative, but she hit 33 of 14 balls late to lift the Scorchers to that total. And, of course, then you did your business, the spun the web around the Sydney Sixers batsman, taking four for 19, and they ended at nine for 130. And then your best ever figures, I believe. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know that at the time, but uh, a few people mentioned that after the game. So uh, yeah, nice to take a couple, couple of wickets and contribute to a win. Um, yeah, as you said, Kingy, Kingy absolutely whacked him at the end there and got us to a, a competitive total um, up, up, up over 160, I think it was. So yeah, that, that was very good. We sort of we have a few girls that can sort of 
um, that sort of late late order hitting role and and, and clear the pickets, which uh, Kingy was able to last night. Mm. Um, and yeah, she obviously took a couple of wickets as well with with her player of the match performance. So um, yeah, a few um, few good performances last night, and hopefully we can repeat that uh, tomorrow. Yes, we'll talk about that match against the Renegades coming up tomorrow. What's it like bowling in tandem with Alana King? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I was actually speaking to, to somebody today, asked me in at the Wacker um, about it and having um, spin from both ends and completely different types of spin. Obviously, she bowls leg spin and I'm an off spinner. So um, it's quite nice bowling in tandem with her from both ends and sort of trying to uh, to keep the batters down to, to not many. Uh, I think there was a period there where there's not too many boundaries between her and I uh, in the overs. So that was quite nice. Um, but yeah, she's She's obviously a world-class spinner and, and, and does it for, for all teams that she plays in. It's interesting, Amy, when T20 cricket started, many thought that the bowlers that would suffer the most would be the slow bowlers uh, because they felt that it would be easier for the bats people to pick them off. On the other hand, yep. now it just appears that the spin bowlers are now becoming the most effective bowlers in the shortest form of the game. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think uh, especially in the women's game, um, the T20 uh, spin has become more and more um, of a focus, I guess. Um, and you actually see a lot of a lot of the teams across the competition um, sort of have almost have three or maybe even four spinners um, within their side and only a couple of fast bowlers. So, yeah, in women's cricket especially, it's, it's certainly turned that way towards towards the spin bowlers. Who works with your game? Is there one in particular that works with you to make sure that you keep improving and get better? Yeah, our, um, our head coach, Becky Grundy. Um, she was she was a uh, left-arm orthodox spinner um, during her career for England. Um, and, yeah, we've got a little bit of a spin group over here in WA uh, with Kingy and uh, Lily Mills as well. So, yeah, we, we always work together in the nets and sort of feed off each other and, and try and help each other out. Oh, it's pretty handy when your coach is, of course, a left-arm orthodox spinner as well and knows exactly what needs to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she, Becky's been really great um, for all three of us, really, over the last few years. Um, she's certainly certainly helped us a lot, and our bowling's sort of come 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 a long way um, in the last few years with, with her being in charge. And no doubt you regard yourself, and many people do, as an all-rounder because you're pretty handy with the bat as well. How do you balance it? Oh, it has been a bit tough recently, um, I will admit. I used to, you know, obviously when I wasn't bowling as well, I used to just be a bat in the team. So that was, that was quite nice. And um, I was able to focus all my time on, on batting. But now, obviously, I sort of split my time between the two. So, yeah, sometimes it is a bit of a juggle to sort of focus on one more than the, than the other. Um, but I try and split my time evenly to uh, to keep working on both and, and not, not let one of them drop off. Do you still regard yourself as a batting all-rounder or do you think it's starting to turn a bit? Oh, I would still call myself a batting all-rounder. I think that's batting's always been my main skill and I think it probably always will be. Uh, but, yeah, certainly, certainly my bowling has, has come a long way um, in, in recent times. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to call myself an all-rounder now. When you look at the strength of this squad, currently sitting in third position, is it a better squad than the one that you played with last season? I don't really know. I haven't really thought about that. Potentially, maybe. I think every year there's sort of always a little bit of change within within all lists, um, especially in the, in the franchise sort of competitions. But as you said, we've sort of recruited um, pretty well this year. The group sort of gelled together really well, and at the moment we're going okay. Um, still still a long time to go in the tournament, but, um, yeah, hopefully we can keep putting some wins on the board, um, getting towards the, the back end of the year. It's amazing the Scorchers have beaten now the Sixers, I think, seven times out of the last nine. So you've got a great record oh, wow. over the Sixers, who remain bottom of the points table. And you consider 
pound for pound, the talent they've got. That's a bit surprising for mine. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that stat before. That's it. I suppose that's pretty cool to have to have one up on them, I guess. But yeah, like I just said, the, the tournament's quite is quite a long tournament and there's still plenty of games to go. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Sixers sort of come up come up that ladder a bit and sort of are, you know, towards the middle of the park come the end of the tournament. Amy, the Renegades tomorrow, 37 degrees, the forecast top. It's going to be a pretty much a hot one out there at the Wacker. What are your thoughts on the conditions? Are you quite comfortable in the heat? Yeah, I think so. Uh, most of our team are, are based in WA now, so we're used to the heat. We Obviously, this is our home ground and we play here all the time. So, yeah, I think we should, we'll be fine. Obviously, it will be a little bit hotter um, tomorrow, but we've, we've got the afternoon game, so hopefully the breeze might come in tomorrow afternoon and that might cool it down a little bit. Um, but, no, I don't think the conditions will um, will affect anyone too much. Well, you know the conditions very well. You've been here for a few seasons. You know about the Fremantle Doctor and the cooling southwest breeze. Good on you, Amy. You sound like a real local now. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations <laughs> on your four for 19. And may it continue at the Wacker tomorrow. Thank you very much for having me. Amy Edgar there joining us from the WBBL and the Perth Scorchers. Just before I go... For Irrigear, which is here, to save time and water, the two major sports headlines today, if you missed it a bit earlier, uh, incoming West Coast Chief Executive Don Pike says restoring the club's on-field performance across all of its sides is the most pressing issue he faces when he takes over uh, Trevor Nisbet's role as CEO of uh, the West Coast Eagles in January. He will replace uh, Trevor Nisbet uh, and the pair will work through a transition period into the new year. The former Adelaide Crows head coach said recent results showed the Eagles had a lot of work to do to be competitive. And the other big news is that West Australian and Australian all-rounder Mitch Marsh has departed the World Cup, flying home here to Perth for personal reasons. He flew out uh, last night in India and leaves the Aussies with 13 players to choose from for Saturday night's contest against England. And no timeline has been placed on Marsh's return with Cricket Australia not stating if a replacement player would be required in a statement that was issued this afternoon. As we know, Glenn Maxwell will also miss, uh, because of concussion, that match against England on Saturday. That's uh, for our friends at Irrigear. And uh, Irrigear offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. And don't forget, Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game, Worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in-store at Beaumont's before November 12, and you're in with a chance to win. TNCs do apply. That's the program. Thanks for joining us today, and I'll be back again Monday from 5 o'clock for another week of Sports Day WA. Thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. Thanks for their work this week. Uh, Jimmy Williams, my executive producer, and also Paul Heath, Heater, who panelled the program so well. See you Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone.